Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost and Sullivan's latest webinar. Today's event is titled, Digital Trust in the Age of Normalized Data Breaches. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost and Sullivan's Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Briefings. Our presenter today is Jason Reed, Industry Analyst. He has over 10 years of research and consulting experience, uh, data privacy, and uh, he's also a cybersecurity specialist. He supports uh, established information security companies and startups alike in developing their growth strategies. And Jason is also the author and lead for the Global Information Security Workforce Study. Um, that's the world's largest um, statistical survey of data privacy and cybersecurity professionals. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Jason. Thank you very much, Anna, and uh, thank everybody who's uh, taken the time to join today. I really appreciate uh, you uh, you joining for this session, and uh, hopefully I can provide some, uh, some new information uh, based on research that uh, my firm uh, conducted last year. And uh, the research was centered on the idea of uh, digital trust or trust in the digital age. Uh, and firstly, the question is, why did we decide to tackle trust as a subject? Um, to us, it seems that uh, trust is often implicitly acknowledged as being uh, something that's important. However, there, are, there isn't a lot of work or research that's been done to try and quantify uh, the actual impact of trust on business outcomes. Uh, so we have a scenario where trust or, or lack of trust is um, an important part of a lot of a lot of news stories around data privacy, uh, but we don't really have many metrics for this phenomenon. So uh, part of this work is to address that gap. Um, the other part, of course, is uh, why choose trust? Well, because data breaches are a absolutely dominate uh, the headlines. It seems like every week there's a new uh, news story of a, uh, a data breach or a data loss or some kind of security issue. Uh, and we're, we're almost inundated with these kind of uh, headlines, but I'll just run through a couple of recent examples. Um, on 2018, August, uh, British Airways <clears throat> was hacked. Uh, that was uh, a result of, that resulted in 380,000 lost consumer records, including financial information. Uh, in the same time frame, roughly, Facebook reported that 50 million accounts had been compromised. Uh, this is another massive hack uh, that uh, took up a lot of uh, a lot of the, the headlines in uh, late 2018. And going back a little further, uh, Equifax. Uh, that breach is probably the most consequential financial breach in history. 145 million uh, people had their uh, financial information stolen, including social security numbers, and this has massive consequences uh, because many of these people will live in fear of their identities being stolen for the rest of their lives. Uh, so these are obviously some enormously consequential headline-grabbing uh, data breaches or security events, but um, at the moment, I, I would like to make uh, take a slight pivot and ask uh, 
the audience just to think about uh, their own organization and what would happen if a data breach occurred. It doesn't have to necessarily be of the scale of Equifax, um, but uh, some kind of data exfiltration or some kind of privacy breach. And I'm going to put this question out to a poll. So in the event of a data breach, what proportion do you think your customers, based on, your, on the business that you work in, uh, what proportion of your customers would stop using the service that you provide or stop engaging with your brand online if there were to be a, a data breach? So I'm going to leave that poll open for just a moment. Uh, and it's, the options, of course, are 1 to 10 percent, 11 to 20 percent, uh, and all the way up to, to 50 percent of uh, consumers who decide to stop using your online service. So I think in the interface, you can go, you can go in and, uh, and respond to the poll. We'll let those keep rolling in. Um, Looks like we, we, we have some estimates uh, here looking at uh, some estimates that say between 10 and or 11 and 20 percent. A few more uh, seem to think that 20 and 30 percent is probably the sweet spot. Um, and one, one uh, vote so far for 31 to 40 percent. So this is all very interesting, and I think it'll be uh, interesting to come back to this number uh, as we uh, go along through the rest of the content uh, and the rest of the session today. So the three breaches that I, that I described earlier, British Airways, Equifax, and so on, uh, these are all have one thing in common. These are mega corporations. They're large entities that uh, seemingly would make good targets for a hack. Um, but what I want to do now is, uh, is share some statistics that show that it's not really just large corporations or large organizations that have uh, targets on their back when it comes to, uh, to hacking. It's also smaller businesses. Um, so Eponymon Institute study in, uh, in 2018 found that 67% of small to medium-sized businesses had experienced a cyber attack sometime in the last year. Uh, small to medium-sized business, or SMB, of course, referring to an organization with 1,000 employees or less. 58%, according to Verizon, of malware victims fall into this category. Um, and one uh, American organization called the National Cybersecurity Alliance estimated that 60% of SMBs go out of business in six months following a successful attack, which isn't too surprising when you consider that the average cost of a cyber attack or a successful data breach is two million U.S. dollars. Not a lot of small to medium-sized businesses could weather that kind of financial hit. But but these are just talking about direct costs and um, the monetary value of the breach itself. They're not talking about the intangibles, the the reputational loss. Um, the trust that's lost when a data breach occurs. So for us to do this, to set about this task of quantifying trust, we first had to define it. And uh, quite simply, uh, trust is the confidence consumers place in an organization to collect and store their information in a manner that benefits and protects them. In other words, 
how much do consumers trust you to be responsible with their data? So then we launched the, we're using this as a foundation, we launched the, the Global State of Online Digital Trust Study. And just very briefly, the, the way that we did this was by surveying uh, 990 consumers from around the world, but, uh, and we wanted to ask them on their perspectives and positions on issues surrounding trust and their trust in organizations online. But we also wanted to get the, the perspectives and the, uh, the viewpoints of companies themselves. So we surveyed 660 organizations um, to ask them similar questions just from the other angle. What, how much do they think consumers trust them? Uh, we made sure that we included a large subsample of uh, business decision makers uh, that way that we, we could say with authority that our sample uh, had a robust presence of people who make, who are able to steer the business in one way or one direction or another. And the markets that we covered uh, were 10 major markets in uh, America, so the U.S., Brazil, four countries in Europe, um, India, China, Australia. So we, we covered a lot of the world's uh, major markets, so we can pr pretty accurately say that we've got a good reading of uh, of what's going on in consumer trust. Uh, briefly, uh, how the trust index works. So we wanted to assign a numerical value uh, somewhere between one and 100 to determine how, just how much somebody trusts uh, organizations online, with 100 being a perfect score um, and one or zero being uh, no trust whatsoever. So the way we did this was we asked people to agree or disagree with with a variety of statements that pertain to trust. Uh, one example was, I trust the companies whose services I use over the Internet take necessary precautions to protect my data. If you agree with that, your trust score goes up. I believe, on the other hand, that companies whose services I use over the Internet sell my personal data to other companies. If you agree with that, your trust score would go down proportionately. So that's how we did it. That's why we did it. Now I think I want to take a moment to go in and uh, talk about some of the trends we uncovered. Uh, let's talk about measuring the intangible, uh, the, the trust index itself. Uh, digital trust out of a score of 100 amongst consumers is 61 out of 100. So to put that in perspective, I think that uh, most people, if they were, they were in school or they were receiving a performance review, I don't. I think that 61 out of 100 would probably not be viewed as a particularly good score. But to me, that makes sense. Um, this score makes sense to me at a fundamental level because it shows that that there is some underlying faith that organizations are trying to protect personal data. However, with all the headlines, including some of the ones that I that I showed earlier, uh, that show data breach after data breach, there is probably a sense that not enough is being done or that more could, could be done. Uh, so using the average of 61 out of 100, we were able to sort of build a distribution of where people fell relative to that average. So 25% uh, of our respondents fell into the high digital trust category, uh, 31 fell into the low digital trust category, and each of those having a, having a, a, a score that corresponds with that. Um, and these distinctions become important because we start to see later on just how much high, high digital trust and low digital trust impact consumer behavior. 
Uh, just quickly looking around the world, I thought it was important to show that it's, there's not uniformity around uh, this idea of digital trust. In fact, uh, in Europe, there are significant uh, variations compared to the rest of the world. Uh, there are a number of reasons why digital trust is much lower in Europe. Um, they could include uh, I, it could include uh, a general lack of or rather a mistrust of uh, of organizations that aren't transparent. Some of that might even date back uh, somewhat in their history. But for me, the, uh, the probably the biggest reason would be the introduction of the general data protection regulation uh, legislation that or GDPR uh, that occurred last year in May. The news was dominated uh, about, uh, on the topic of GDPR for quite some time, probably more so than in uh, North America or elsewhere. Uh, this idea of that digital privacy has been very much a part of European discourse for, uh, for some years now. Um, also, if you want to look from the other angle, the fact that Europe was the first place to introduce stringent data protection or data privacy regulations uh, may be because they are so mistrustful uh, to begin with. So we wanted to make sure, uh, as I mentioned from the outset, that we weren't just capturing the, the voice of the customer, but also comparing that against how businesses felt uh, consumers saw them. Uh, so with 61 out of 100 was the consumer reality. Uh, when we looked at executives and asked them a similar set of questions, the index score was considerably higher. In other words, this means that by at least 13 points, business executives are overestimating the degree to which consumers trust them. And that gap, uh, similarly to uh, what we saw a couple slides ago, that gap is highest in Europe. Um, the reason for this being that Europeans tend to have the lowest levels of digital trusts. Um, the executives in, in Europe are no more uh, are no are no more likely to think that people trust them. However, they're just a little bit further off the mark. So, what explains that gap? What explains uh, the reason why business executives think that trust is moving one direction, where consumers are less convinced? Well, we asked people to agree or disagree with the statement that trust is increasing. Uh, over the past two years, and we asked that to both groups. Now, business executives, 84% indicate that they think trust is trending upwards. Uh, only 38% of consumers agree with that. So twice the number of executives think that trust is increasing compared to consumers. This is a fundamental misunderstanding that's driving that perception gap. And if we just look quickly at the momentum around the world, uh, I want to draw your, att your attention to two uh, countries in this rather complicated chart. Uh, but uh, India and China, you see the highest level of trust increase over the past two years. Uh, so if you look, you see a net increase of 67% uh, in China and a net increase of 46% in India. That's in the, that's, that part of the world is seeing trust increase at the most rapid pace uh, that's 
we measured. Uh, one other area of concern that would be worth drawing your attention to would be Germany, uh, where trust is decreasing dramatically. Uh, 44% indicate that it's decreasing for a 23-point net decline. Uh, this, of course, is concerning for businesses that are looking to conduct, uh, could do commerce online in Germany because you have a population that is incredibly mistrustful of sharing personal information uh, over the Internet. And the way as, as the largest economy in the EU, as Germany goes, so too does the EU, just to a great extent. Uh, so that is certainly worth taking, uh, taking note of. What's driving trust? We know what direction it's going. Um, we know what business leaders think. We know what uh, organizations are. We know that organizations are a little bit, perhaps, out of touch in some some respects with their perceptions of trust and how much people trust them. So, in order to get to the bottom of that disconnect, it's important to understand what's driving trust in the first place, and. Uh, the top four drivers that, that were identified by consumers are, uh, are actually a little bit surprising to me. Um, a well-known brand, so brand recognition is not particularly surprising, um, but, and that's a, a sort of a social factor. Uh, however, the next two um, are, are more technically oriented. So customers are, are looking for certi uh, certificate information, security certificate information in the browser. Uh, they are looking for information about a website, uh, a website security policy. Uh, and finally, word of mouth is rounding out the top four. So you can see that it's actually a confluence of both social and technical factors. Uh, surprisingly, technical uh, is quite prominent here. So we know what the state of trust is. We know about the discrepancies. Um, now we have some idea that social factors as well as technical factors are driving trust. Um, but let's talk now about the business impacts of, uh, of digital trust. So I mentioned earlier that uh, people with different levels of trust uh, will behave differently when they interact with brands and services online. Uh, this chart is probably the clearest example of that. It, uh, it shows how much people spend online based on their levels of trust. And so you can see that overall spending is up across the board, and this is a reflective of a social economic trend as more and more commerce moves online. Uh, so it's not surprising that spending is up. But the higher your tr level of trust is, the more you are spending online, the greater the likelihood that your spending is increased. So a 53% net increase in spending amongst those who have high digital trust and just more than uh, half of that, unfortunately, a 28% increase in trust in spending for those with low digital trust. So if you are a brand, if you're an organization, right away you want to be making sure that you are moving your consumers along this continuum. Those who might have low digital trust, you want to build their trust to try and move them into moderate or even high because what this results in is an increase in revenue because they're going to be spending more. But uh, how this is the positive side or one of the positive sides of building trust. But before we move on, um, I want to talk briefly about the impact of losing trust. 
And uh, I'm looking at the, uh, the results of the poll, and here uh, we have 33% who indicate that they thought that a data breach would result in 11 to 20% um, decline in customers, and another 33% who thought that 31 to 40% would be the decline. Well, according to our research, the tangible impact of a data breach uh, is that 48% indicate they would stop using the affected service. So if they learn that an organization has been impacted by a data breach, 48% say they're likely just to stop using it entirely. It draws into relief that statistic that indicated that 60% of small to medium-sized businesses go out of, out of business in the days or weeks following a breach. Given that 48% indicate that they were there likely to stop using the service, that seems less drastic uh, in retrospect. I want to take a look just uh, because I think it's interesting to point out uh, the number of people based on geography who say that they would stop using an online service after a breach is disclosed. Uh, I think the most interesting number here is, is China, where tolerance for a breach is alarmingly low. 77% would stop using a service after uh, learning of a data breach. And so this creates a bit of a paradoxical situation for China where, if you recall, they were the part of the world where trust was growing at the fastest rate uh, over the past two years, but they're also the least tolerant of a loss of trust or a breach of trust. So this puts them in a bit of a unique situation as both the most trusting and the least tolerant of any loss of trust. So those are the consequences of losing trust. Um, or, what, or some of the consequences of losing trust. But, um, but as I mentioned before, there are also significant upsides to building trust, and that's part of why we undertook these, this research in the first place, to figure out how to build revenue by shifting your customers into high-trust territory. Um, the first step that we've found uh, through the research is to try and gain a better insight and a better understanding into ways that consumers are perceiving trust and what their needs are. Uh, so, for example, we asked business executives, should the user experience on their website be more secure or should it be more convenient? There's often this, this notion that in order to to have a more secure site, you have to sacrifice convenience, or vice versa, to have a more convenient site, you have to sacrifice security. And about 40% indicate that they thought consumers wanted a, a less secure, more convenient site. But this shows a little bit of a disconnect, and I think that's a sort of a running theme here, is that there's just a lot of misperceptions around what consumers are really looking for. Because consumers, 86% prefer a secure site uh, and a secure transaction over a convenient transaction. So there's substantial disagreement um, here, and this is one way to sort of meet consumers where they are rather than where you assume that they are. In keeping with that idea, um, and perhaps one of the reasons why uh, consumers are more are placing greater value on security 
is that when we ask business executives uh, how easy they think it is for consumers to protect their data online, 68% um, indicated that they thought it was easy. We ask the same question to consumers, and only 35% indicate that it's easy. So this is obviously a, a substantial challenge for them. It's a daunting task to try and maintain the, the integrity of their personal information online, which is more than likely why customers are preferring a secure process in the first place. So again, it's about getting into the mindset of consumers and understanding where their pain points are. And one concrete way uh, that I wanted to present as well to build trust, when we ask, ask directly, does providing information about data protection policy increase my trust in an organization? 73% of consumers indicate that's the case. However, only 50% are getting that information from even one service that they use online. So you have a, a pretty substantial 22-point uh, gap here uh, where consumers are not being provided with this information. So this is one way that's very straightforward and very simple uh, that any organization, regardless of the size, can take. This is one step that can be taken to sort of automatically, overnight, uh, bolster uh, your uh, your so your popular the degree of trust that consumers place in you. Finally, uh, I want to talk about investing in security. Um, and investing in security is going to be the best way to ensure that uh, you don't suffer any kind of catastrophic breaches. You and your organization is uh, is building trust in a productive way that's going to result in increased revenues. Um, so just as, as a, to start off, when we say investing in security, if there's anybody in finance, their ears pick up, and then they automatically want to ask, well, what's the return on investments? What is the return that we're getting from investing in security? And this, the result here didn't come as a huge surprise to me, um, but it's concerning. 27% of respondents in the business community indicate that security has a negative return on investment. It's a, it's a cost center. And this is something that we spend uh, an awful lot of time talking with our clients uh, on this subject, and we're, we're, we're trying to combat this perspective um, and trying, trying to, to instill the idea that security is not a cost center, it's, it's a business enabler. It's something, it's the table stakes for doing business in the modern economy because without security, uh, chances are pretty good that you're going, not going to have a business for too long because the, the attackers are out there, hackers are out there, and they are looking for weak and weaknesses and vulnerabilities in uh, organizational security. So I'm just going to talk. There's a tripartite system to keep data secure. Um, most importantly for our purposes here uh, to help guide the discussion is uh, people and technology, processes we can leave for, for some other time. Um, and these are the places that you can invest um, regardless of the size of the organization. Um, when you're thinking about investing in people, uh, 
uh, yeah, the most important thing is training. Uh, security isn't just the responsibility of the IT staff. It's got to be the domain of all staff. It's got to be built in from the ground up, and this includes non-technical staff. Uh, we asked executives whether their non-technical staff were trained in data privacy, and most, 80%, said that they were, in fact, trained in, in data privacy uh, procedures. However, we looked at another subsection of our sample, people who work in IT, and that number declined pretty dramatically. Um, you saw instead of, uh, instead of 80%, you saw 60% who believe that non-technical staff are trained in data protection. So in this case and in this instance, I think I'm more inclined to believe the IT staff um, simply because they probably have greater expertise in this area. So some of the typical weak points or, or blind spots that you find in organizations that we often find when we're, we're doing this kind of work with clients is uh, customer-facing operations, so salespeople, um, operations, uh, perhaps uh, HR or support functions. These are the kind of areas that you can look to ensure that the individuals who are responsible for these are still up to date with uh, phishing, for example, email phishing, other social engineering tactics, um, understand malicious websites and malicious links, these kind of things are extremely necessary to ensure that you don't wind up with a data breach that ends up costing you a substantial portion of your customers. And of course, uh, investing in technology is important as well. Um, and you can see here that to, uh, to a significant extent, executives acknowledge the importance of investing in different types of technologies, identity access management, identity verification, um, and so on, and, and investing in application security testing as well. So you see that there's a, a, a substantial number of, of uh, executives who are saying that this is important. Um, however, one is gives pause to think, um, even though sometimes executives say it's important, remember that 27% also see investing in, in security technology to be uh, to have a negative return on investment. So the question as to whether these technologies are being used to their full capacity remains, um, in some cases, more difficult to, uh, to pin down than, uh, than simply stating that it's important. But all the investing in technology, while, it's, while obviously very important, is, uh, is not going to help unless you keep pace with data privacy and all of the tools and techniques that are needed to, to ensure ongoing stability for your organization and ongoing security for the information that your organization is storing. Um, so keeping in mind that digital transformation is, uh, is an ongoing process. It's, uh, it's a process with no fixed endpoints. Uh, every new technology uh, that you adopt to streamline processes to make things more efficient, to make work uh, easier, uh, all of that, while great, opens up new ways for attackers to infiltrate and potentially uh, damage your organization by stealing information. Um, and again, this goes back to talking about 
investing in technology. Remember that your adversaries, the, the hackers out there, are going to be using the most sophisticated technology they can get their hands on. So it's very important, um, regardless of the size of your organization, to invest in the technologies that you can, uh, that you can afford, in order to provide the protection that you are able to do. So we're getting near the end here, so I'd like to just say a uh, final uh, couple of words uh, here. And uh, first and foremost, I just wanted to drive home that, and hopefully we've taken away from this, that trust is driven uh, by technological and social factors. We saw that slide, um, but it's just important to remember that consumers are a little bit more tech-savvy, perhaps, than, than we give them credit for all the time. Um, it certainly seems that some in the business community are not giving them the, same, the, the credit that perhaps they deserve. Uh, it's important to remember that consumer trust drives uh, consumer behavior. Uh, they, straightforward, they're going to be spending more if they trust your organization more. They're going to come, to, come back, they're going to be repeat customers, and they're going to be returning to your service or returning to your business to continue doing business if they both trust that you're going to be responsible with their information. And uh, finally, not investing in technology and not having the right tools can result in a breach, and a breach can have catastrophic consequences. So how do we build? What's the three-step solution to building trust? Well, cover your technolog technological bases. This this doesn't mean you have to, depending on the size of your organization, it may be impractical to invest in a massive, sprawling security architecture. But invest in what you can afford, because so often hackers are looking for the easiest path to profit. So even having the basics in place, so making sure that you at least have uh, an antivirus active and making sure that your your operating systems are up to date and making sure that fund that basic security hygiene practices are in place password protection on all of your cloud containers these kind of things can be enough there are there are enough organizations out there with weaknesses in those areas that if you cover your bases there's a good chance that a hacker will just bypass you entirely and move on to what is perceived to be an easier target. Implement a culture of security. This has, a, this has to do with, um, with training people and the people aspect of, uh, of investing in security. Ensure that non-technical staff have the tools and the skills and the information needed to properly protect data so they aren't easily taken in by social engineering campaigns or spear phishing or any of the other multitudes of attack vectors out there. And, and security success starts at the top. It's important, and we, I'm, I'm always reminded of this statistic where 27% of executives, decision makers, key individuals in the organization see security as a, as a negative return on investment. So. We have to eliminate that mindset and understand that security is the table stakes, the cost of entry for doing business and for increasing revenues and generating profit in today's economy. And yeah, that's, um, that concludes 
the prepared remarks. Uh, the, there's a link to the study on, on the screen, so it has a more complete report uh, that's been published and made publicly available. And I think now would be when we would uh, move along to the Q&A section. Thank you, Jason. Yes, um, we're going to start our Q&A session, and uh, if you um, have any questions for Jason, you can type your question under the um, questions tab. So we'll go ahead and start with our uh, first questions we received. So our first one, you mentioned that SMBs are at least as vulnerable to cyber attacks as large businesses are. But for small organizations, big investments in cybersecurity may be out of reach. What are some of the steps that a small business can take to make sure that they are doing everything they can to protect data? Yeah, yeah, and that, that goes back, I think, um, that's a great question. And uh, I that goes back to some of what I was talking about before, which uh, which I understand that these that these massive security deployments may not be practical for a small to medium sized businesses, but really a business. But really, the idea is deterrence, and hackers will will always seek out the path of least resistance. And if you can create even a, a small obstacle in their path, because there's a lot of search. There's, there's searchable databases where you can just use the, a search engine to scour um, Amazon Web Services, for example, scour their cloud containers to find unsecure passwords or unsecure, unsecure uh, data caches. Um, I know that some security re researchers found NSA hacking tools by doing this. It was kept in an unsecured AWS container. Um, so the, you, the hackers will be using these kind of tools to try and identify the easiest and, uh, and most vulnerable. So even just having those things taken care of, those basic things like updated drivers, updated security patches, password-protected cloud storage devices, uh, these kind of things are practically no-cost uh, investments that take a minimal expertise really, um, that any size business, business can adopt right away as a, as a deterrent. Thank you, Jason. Our next question here reads from our audience. You said that customers value security over convenience. Does it have to be one or the other? I mean, is there some way that using online services can be secure and convenient? That's yeah, that's um, that's really really an interesting idea. That's uh, and and there's a movement in there's a movement in security uh, right that has been percolating for for many years, uh, so, and it's this idea of of usable security, uh, which is to say you're uh, not viewing security as a trade-off to usability because one of the main obstacles. Uh, in getting, for example, non-technical staff trained up and on board is that often the most secure way is not the easiest way. Uh, and it was forever viewed as being it was one or the other. But uh, lately with technolo technological advances, um, it's becoming both, and that's where the security industry is pushing uh, towards. So 
usable security would be, for example, um, devices that are encrypted right out of the box, that which was ne never used to be a thing. It would be something that needed to happen at the at the user level rather than at the manufacturing level. Um, or uh, basically, security vendors are trying to to understand how people use their devices and meet them there. Uh, so rather than trying to get people to modify their behavior in a way that is uh, not not normal or doesn't uh, follow their normal usage patterns, um, they're analyzing usage patterns and trying to make it so that the best way to use a device is also the most secure way to use the device, and the most convenient way is the most secure way. Uh, so that's a great, that's an interesting uh, trend that's happening now. Thank you, Jason. And I see that that's all the questions from our audience today. So this concludes today's webinar. Uh, feel free to contact us with any additional questions or feedback. I have posted the contact details on the screen at this time. So Jason's email is, uh, is listed here if you have any, any additional questions. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.